We sing about the cross this time of the year. We reflect on the cross, Christ's death, burial, resurrection. Tonight we want to reflect some upon the cross as it relates to our own community. We'll be looking at several passages of scripture and then would like some response and input from you. But let's begin <clears throat> You have last week's on, Jer. Let's begin by going to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Think about the cross. And we understand that the cross is for unbelievers. 1 John chapter 4. And we'll begin reading with verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. First John chapter 4 and verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now keep in mind the context of 1 John is one of having fellowship with God, with Christ. It's one of knowing that you have eternal life. And John is giving what I would call maybe a series of tests, whereby you may know that you are a believer. And obviously one of them is, in light of 7 through 12, along with the extended passage, is loving others, caring for others, and to drive home what love is, in verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I go back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ came to be the atoning sacrifice, to pay for the sins of the world, And again, you can read on in John, and he'll talk about obedience and so on. But Christ is the ultimate display of love, a willingness to die. And sometimes we talk about what Christ went through before he died, and I think that is very great. But I think greater than that was 
the separation from God and paying for the sins of the world. Let's go to another passage. We think about Christ. Also, we can look at some passages as it relates to making disciples. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus about Christ, being in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, he talks about living out, being in Christ. And in verse 4 of Ephesians 6, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that is in the context of verses 1 through 3 that children are to obey mom and dad. It's also in the context of a husband and wife loving one another, caring for one another, a husband fulfilling his role, a wife responding, complimenting her husband. In that context, fathers do not exasperate your children. Who is primarily responsible for making a disciple of children? Father, fathers. Doesn't say mom's off the hook, but fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Think about that. Where does the enemy tend to attack first? Husbands, fathers. Christ died. And in the context of being in Christ, he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 4. As we think about making disciples, moms and dads seeking to bring their children to Christ. Then in Colossians chapter 4, also in the context of making disciples, Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. The outsiders would be unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with sought so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul offering some concluding comments to the church in Ephesus. And remember in chapter 1, he made it very, very clear that it's through Christ that there can be reconciliation to God. One can be restored to relationship with God. So he says to believers, be wise in the way you act towards Outsiders or unbelievers. We do relate to unbelievers. All of us run into them, have relationships with them. He says, be wise. Be skillful in the way you act toward them. Make the most of every opportunity. Apparently, there's some opportunities come along the way as you act with, interact with unbelievers. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation Before of grace. Grace is giving what people don't deserve. Let your conversation be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Makes something tasty, but it also creates thirst if there's too much of it. Let your conversation be full of or uh, before of grace, season with salt. 
we don't always tell people what we think they shouldn't be told. We let grace determine it. We let sought determine how we respond. So that you may know how to answer everyone. A question. Why would Paul say, so that you may know how to answer everyone? If you're answering someone, what is implied? They're asking a question. Why would they ask questions? See something different in you. You're Saudi. Ruth Ann said Saudi. You said see something different, Jeff. First of all, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Then let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So that you might know how to answer everyone. Christ came, he lived, he died, he went to the cross. But we are ambassadors for Christ in our day by day living. Being an ambassador isn't something you do at points in time. It's a lifestyle. We could look at some other references, but I have a question. Is our lifestyle of holiness and daily living, our relationships, or the verbal sharing of the gospel more important? Is our lifestyle in daily life, our relationships, or the verbal sharing of the gospel more important? Okay, so you would say lifestyle is foundational to a verbal witness. Okay, any other response? Do people get saved by merely observing the way you live? Okay, the Holy Spirit must convict. I go back to my question, and I agree with you, Joe. Do people get saved by merely observing a godly lifestyle of a believer? Pardon? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. As well as what? You mean your own lifestyle? Okay, Jeff. They're equally important. They have to hear the gospel. <clears throat> 
Okay, a lifestyle that is godly. That doesn't, does a lifestyle that is godly mean you're perfect? Never make any mistakes? No. How you respond to sin and how you respond to failure and so on becomes a testimony. But lifestyle is foundational to verbal witness. But if we're not careful, we'll just say, I live the life. But we never get around to talking. I think lifestyle is foundational. But the verbal witness is very, very important. Ambassadors represent their country. And they have to talk. We were in Ghana, the one trip. And the missionary said, uh, the ambassador to Ghana from the U.S. is going to be in Ho. Would you like to go along to talk to the ambassador? We went along. Or I, I went along, Ruth Ann, didn't I? Don't. She was doing some ministry, quote, unquote. <laughs> and listen to the ambassador share some things with us Americans. She lived in Ghana, represented our country and the interest of our country. She didn't just live, she spoke. Ambassadors live, but speak. I think that's very important that we recognize. So a father, fathers, you know, bring your children up in their nurture and admonition of the Lord. A father should live godly, Yes. But a father should also speak the gospel to their children. You say, let someone else do it. Fathers. I think mothers are implied too, you know, as you look at you know, the previous context. Parents should be the primary means of children hearing the gospel. Because children observe the lifestyle of mom and dad. And then mom and dad speak it. And what Ray was saying, you know, the lifestyle, the way you live is very important. You know, as you speak, Ray. You may as well not proclaim it. Well, when I say proclaim the gospel, I'm assuming that the lifestyle is seeking to be in order, okay? And if a husband makes a mistake in responding to his wife, sins against his wife, and a non-believer sees how he responds in a godly way, that becomes a tremendous testimony because there's no husband has ever responded to his wife 100% correctly, 100% of the time. So, a non-believer may see how a husband responds to his wife. This man, I'd never do that. And he says, hey, I saw how you responded to your wife. How did you manage that? I would never have the nerve to apologize to my wife and ask her forgiveness. You know, I'm a tough man. Tough men don't do that, but godly men do. You have an opportunity to share. Let your conversation be always full of grace, season with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
guy asking a question just because observing lifestyle. So mom and dad are dealing with their kids and we'll say in a public setting and the kids misbehave. No, kids always do in a public setting. And mom and dad respond to them firmly, but with grace. So mom believers present, you know, just observing and say, uh, how do you manage that? I just yell at my kids and scream at them and hopefully they shape up, you know. How do you manage that? Conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Give you an example. Sitting in McDonald's in Shavertown. And uh, a man came in with four or five children. They were all under the age of probably 12 or 13. And I happened to glance over and observe them as they were ordering their food. And I thought, uh, there's something going on here. Just a casual observance. They ordered their food and then they sat down in my line of sight. You know, where I could look at them without staring at them and turning my head. And I just observed and I thought there's something different about that father and those children. So before I left the restaurant, I went over them and I said, I just want to compliment you and your relationship as a father with your children and your children responding to your father. You know what the difference was? Christ. Say, how do you know? There's no way they could be what they were apart from Christ. I also observed some other things that they did. They gave me some other Hence, you know, as to where they were. Just observing. Lifestyle. I'm not talking perfection. And then verbal. Godly relationships are picked up on very, very quickly because they're generally not present among unbelievers. Colossians 3 and 4, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are basically about relationships. So which is more important? Holy life, daily life, or verbal sharing? Yes. But I think the lifestyle is foundational to the verbal witness. If you're going to have an ungodly lifestyle, don't even bother verbalizing (laughs) with that. Pardon? Okay, Ruth Ann's question is this. Someone is very verbal in sharing the gospel, but their lifestyle is kind of 
messed up, you know, not really living godly, but they're very, very verbal about Christ. How do you mop up after them if an unbeliever says, well, the reason I don't want to come to faith in Christ is because I know believers so-and-so, and they keep pounding the gospel at me, but they live a terrible life. How do you mop up after them? I would say you don't. You say, what do you mean you don't? Well, if they tell you that they know this believer and they live a horrible life and they're always, you know, banging them with the gospel, but they're living terrible. And if that's what you are all about, I really don't want part of it. I probably would say what they did is terrible. The way they're living is terrible. It's, and their, their life is different than their message, so you have every right to be upset. I wouldn't be afraid to tell them that. I wouldn't try to defend the believer. There's no need to defend them. There's a need to admit that they're wrong. No, they're wrong. They're responding incorrectly. That's not what God designed. They're not a good representation of Christ. And they'll probably look at you and say, are they one of you? Well, they claim to be, but they're not living right. They're living contrary to Scripture. If you want, I'll show you some Scripture that says your lifestyle and your words are to go together. When I say not mop up, don't try to defend. Admit they're terrible. Encourage them not to look at the person. But can we really encourage them not to look at the person when God tells us to live godly before unbelievers? I don't think we can say don't observe people. I think we need to admit that they had it wrong. Jeff. I understand where you're coming from, but Scripture clearly tells us that unbelievers will look at us. Yeah, but, yeah, right. And I think we need to explain, you know, the person is not living well, and, you know, ultimately we're looking at Christ, you know, we're not perfect. We say we're not perfect, we're forgiven, and so on, yes. But that's not an excuse for sin. But uh, I think we need to admit some people blow it and accepting that. Mike. You were asking questions. Mm-hmm. In what aspect? I'm just asking. I don't have a particular aspect. I guess where I'm coming from is, <clears throat> can you have one without the other is probably my bottom line question. Because once you're saved, according to Scripture, you're supposed to build your life and, and live a Christian life. Right. As we're responsive to God, responsive to Christ, our life is changing. And how far along, you say, do I have to be before I would speak about Christ? I'm not so sure how far along it is as much as a yieldedness to Christ and surrendering to him. And some may depend on your background. There are people who would come to faith 
and Christ out of a very evil, wicked background, there's almost an immediate transformation. And, you know, they're yielding to Christ. They may struggle, but still yielding to Christ. That may stand in contrast to someone who comes to faith in Christ, who grew up in, quote-unquote, a Christian home. But yet, you know, they're seeking to respond. The lifestyle is important. The verbal witness is important. I don't think you can say one without the other. But if you're going to have a verbal witness, don't have willful sin in your life. You know, where you say, I don't care about God, you know, and I'm just going to... I don't know if I'm responding to your question, Mike, but that's kind of where I was coming from. But they will observe you. Right. And they will ask questions, even though they may hate you. And I think Peter brings that out. Keep in mind that, in light of what Mike is saying, our godly lifestyle does not mean everyone likes us, but they do observe. And if God is working in an unbeliever's life, no, they may be open and responsive, and the Spirit would convict, as Joe mentioned earlier. Question for just a couple minutes. How does God desire for us to reach our community or your place of work and so on? Not a loaded question. Being authentic and speaking, particularly in our community. I'll give you an example of that. I was visiting a gentleman in the community, and we got talking about some things, and I mean, he knows I'm a pastor, and he said, you know, I know a lot of wannabe pastors. I said, a lot of wannabe pastors. What is a wannabe pastor? Oh, he said, those that want to be pastors. I said, can you explain that a little more? Well, he said, they want to be pastors, but they really aren't because their lives aren't very nice. And he mentioned some names. And I happened to know all three that he mentioned. And I said, uh, no, what about these guys, you know, that 
can you give me some specifics? And you mentioned a little bit more. I was talking about guys that have lived in this community for years. And I said, well, I think you're correct. The wannabe guys that you're talking about are just that, you know, wannabes. And I said, you know, they have some issues. But keep in mind that that's not the way Christ wants them to be. So if you can see beyond them to Christ, and that's about where our conversation ended. And then we got to discussing another time I visited him about some things, and he again brought up the wannabe pastors. I said, y'all, you mean this by wannabe pastors? <clears throat> but lifestyle is very, very important. You know, in a settled community, and I think when Paul talks about First Thessalonians 4, living quiet lives, minding your own business, you know, working with your own hands. That was important, right? Keep in mind, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, just listen. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal for such a task? Keep in mind that we cannot make someone listen. We cannot make someone respond. And people will be negative and they will find fault and they will give you all kinds of excuses. Fine. It's not our job to try to overcome all of that, but to live godly. And if they ever listen fine, they may be in the category of those who are perishing. So they are going to find fault and they're going to criticize and you can say whatever you want, and you'll probably never convince them otherwise. Our goal is not to convince them. Or we should be desiring to respond with words that are seasoned with salt and full of grace. They may be angry. Fine. But sometimes maybe ask questions, right? We're not out to win them, to let, you know, but we need to keep that in mind. Oh, this unbeliever don't like me. 
remember, they did kill Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. Now, they're the ones that were after him. So you say, someone hates me. Let them hate you. But be gentle and kind and loving in your responses. You say, they might never like me. You weren't called to get them to like you, but you were called to respond with no grace. Your word seasoned with salt and so on. I'll give you an example, then we'll wrap it up. I, this goes back years ago. I probably hadn't lived in this community more than two or three years. And um, someone called me, a religious person called me. And I'll say religious and I'll stop with that. He's very angry at me, just raked me over the coals. It just wasn't very nice whatsoever and spread rumors about me. And a couple people said to me, well, pastor, what are you going to do about that? I said, the person don't like me and I'm not going to do any much about it at all. I said, I'm going to go on living my life and I'll try to be sensitive and responsive. And if I see the person, I will say hi and I'll be kind and gracious to them. Lo and behold, you know this, she did spread rumors about me. And um, there was another person in our community that heard this rumor and didn't like me very well. Within the last three years, I was talking to this other person that heard the rumor about me. And the individual said to me, you know, I've come to realize after 30-some years that you're not what I thought you were. I said, what do you mean I'm not what you thought I was? Well, I thought you were really mean and nasty and hated some people. I said, why did you think that? You know, and the individual told me. I thought, oh, that, that's 30-some years ago. I don't know if the original person likes me or hates me at this point in time. That's irrelevant. My point is just live godly. We don't have to chase after, trying to get people to like us and so on. Live godly. And some people will not like us, as Mike implied. And if the smell of death is present because of the gospel, they probably won't like us. We're to be sought We're to be light. We're to be ambassadors. We're not called to get people to like us. We're not called to say, well, if I respond to them, they might get upset. No, I better not respond. Well, if they get upset with the truth, okay. But our life is very, very important. Our verbal witness is important. Any other comments before we wrap it up? Love God, live godly, be Christ-like, and uh, don't worry about trying to get everyone to like you, but do be faithful in verbalizing as there are open doors present. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for working in our lives, giving us salvation, and it's our desire to be sensitive to you, living holy and sensitive for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.